Welcome to the Mornings with Sue and Andy podcast for Wednesday, December 1st. We begin with another edition of Ask the Doctor with Dr. Craig Janney, infectious disease specialist from the University of Calgary. This week, a focus on the newly discovered Omicron variant. And as always, Dr. Janney answers questions as sent in by you, the listeners. Next, we look at the disturbing crime of human trafficking, specifically the impact it's having right here in Alberta. We speak with Julia Drydick, the executive director of the Canadian Centre to End Human Trafficking. Then it's a groundbreaking discovery in the world of paleontology. We hear details on a new swordfish-shaped marine reptile fossil that's been discovered in Colombia and the Canadian connection behind the finding. And finally, ever dream about having the palate and knowledge of a wine sommelier? Well, now there's an app for that. We learn about the new Psalm app. It's like having a sommelier right in your pocket. We always like to... Thank Dr. Craig Janney for joining us. He's been so great throughout the pandemic, joining us to answer your questions surrounding COVID-19. Of course, Dr. Janney, professor from the Department of Microbiology, Immunology, and Infectious Diseases at the University of Calgary. And once again, he joins us. Good morning, Dr. Janney. Good morning. And of course, you know, we've, we've had you very consistently, and then, they, you know, when things seem to slow and we start to see the numbers going down, we, we give you a bit of a break. I don't like you to work every single week. Uh, but bring you back when we have new news to, to, to bring uh, to the forefront, and that includes Omicron. So if you can break down, what makes this Omicron variant unique, and why is it garnering so much attention? Yeah, so this, just like the other variants, is a virus that has mutated. It it has picked up some changes to the proteins that make up the virus. And in particular, we're seeing a lot of changes, more than 30, in fact, in a protein called spike. And the spike protein on the virus is how the virus sticks to us. So by changing that protein, it could change how the virus behaves, make it more infectious, make it less infectious. We don't yet know. But importantly, Spike is also the target of our vaccines. So uh, all of the vaccines in Canada target this Spike protein. And if it is changed, if if it changes the way it looks with these mutations, it might not be recognized by our immune systems if we've been vaccinated. So that's the big question. We simply don't have any answers yet whether it will be evading our immunity or not, or if it's worse or not. But that's the concern. That's why scientists, when they identified this, uh, designated uh, the virus as a variant of concern and gave it the name Omicron. We have uh, one case here in Alberta, Dr. Janney. Do we know much about that? Because we've got some textures saying, how did this person even get on a plane? But we know they've been back in Alberta for at least a week, correct? Yeah, so so this is somebody who was traveling, and uh, it appears as though they they originated their trip in Nigeria, transferred planes in the Netherlands. So where did they pick it up? We don't know. Um, How did they get on a plane and get to Canada with the virus? Well, it's a great question. The, The problem with the virus is you could be, for example, exposed driving to the airport, and you won't test positive for three or four days. It takes a little while to replicate in your body before we're able to detect it. So if you pick that virus up, for example, on the way to the airport, you are not expected to test positive by the time you land. And that's originally why we had self-isolation and quarantine rules for international travel. It was to give a chance. Not only do we test you at the border, but, you know, three days later we would check again and make sure you didn't pick a virus up on the way. Since those rules have been laxed, uh, we can expect people to perhaps pick up a virus in transit and, you know, 
test positive uh, only a few days later, not when they arrive at the airport. All right. So, you know, we're hearing what the government is doing and not just the Canadian government, but across the globe with travel restrictions. I think the big question before we whip people up into a frenzy, so to speak, Dr. Jenny, mm-hmm. is what can we do as individuals? Do we stay the course and keep doing exactly what we've been doing? Yeah, th- that's exactly it. I think this is, you know, a, a time or a reminder that, you know, we, we want to make sure we're not taking our current um, regulations lightly, that we're trying to follow those rules. Um, we have to recognize the value in testing. So if you're not feeling well, don't hesitate to go get a test. We don't want people who might have the virus still going out and spreading it. Um, but the things we've been doing for the last two years are still very protective. Social distancing, limiting numbers indoors, wearing masks, being vaccinated. We don't know if it'll block the infection, but there's already evidence suggesting it would minimize hospitalization. So, you, you know, it's the things we've been doing. Life doesn't have to change drastically for those who, for example, aren't traveling. Staying on that theme, we had Tina texting in saying, uh, based on the continued development of newer and stronger variants, will the pandemic really ever end? If, if these variants just keep getting stronger and the vaccines are less effective, how can we ever move forward here? Yeah, so I guess first, we don't know the variant is stronger. It could be. It could be weaker. We don't honestly know. But it's a good question. Uh, we will eventually get there. We will get to the point where there will be enough immunity in the community to minimize the risk of severe disease. So, you know, as the variants continue to, to emerge, they may escape vaccination. They might. And what I mean by that is the vaccines may not be able to stop you from being infected. But they will continue to protect against the development of something more severe. So over the course of time, these new infections will become more like a uh, a seasonal flu or cold. But we're a long ways off from that. We still have a lot of at-risk people in the community. We still have waning immunity in some people. So it's going to take a while to reach that balance. Eventually we will. We know we will. But that's not today, tomorrow, or likely even, you know, February, March. It's going to take a little while to get there. Dr. Jenny, we always have you on to dispel, uh, you know, uh, rumors as well when it comes to the COVID-19 pandemic and the vaccines themselves. This one from Jeff. I've never heard this. Sue nodded her head that Mm -hmm. she's heard this. Uh, Jeff says, rumors persist that the vaccines contain tissues from aborted fetuses. Can this be dispelled? Yes. So, so the vaccines do not contain any tissues. Uh, some of the vaccines do require growing in cells in a petri dish. So some of the material had to grow in cells, but that is not part of the vaccine. And in fact, most agencies, including, uh, for example, the Catholic Church, has said that these are uh, safe and effective and they recommend people getting them. So there's a little confusion on what's used in a laboratory versus what's in the vaccine. And, and the vaccines do not contain any uh, aborted fetus or, or human cells. Dr. Jenny, you as a father, as a scientist, are you concerned by this Omicron variant and, and you know, sort of how things are being dealt with at this point, Is what we know about it anyway? I, I would say I'm watching it with, uh, with concern, but as far as day-to-day life, I, I'm not changing. You know, we've been following the guidelines here. Um, we, honestly, there's, there's no sense of panic here in Alberta. Um, it might modify some travel plans for, for later next year, depending on how things work out. But as far as day-to-day life, no, this is something we're, we're watching. Um, you know, will it change our, our approach to 
to the pandemic here in Canada? Will we require a new vaccine in the new year? You know, those are the questions we're watching. But as far as uh, of risk to to family here, as far as risk to daily activity, uh, it, it is minimal as long as we continue following uh, the current guidelines here in Alberta. Dr. Janney, wondering if we can uh, you know take a quick break for traffic and uh, you can join us for two more minutes? Of course. More time with Dr. Craig Janney, Associate Professor, Department of Microbiology, Immunology, and Infectious Diseases at the University of Calgary. Uh, Dr. Janney, let's get right into it. Another question about the booster shots uh, in our in our province. Are we uh, on the right schedule, do you think, compared to other countries? We've had a couple of notes over the past couple of weeks saying, you know, we have to expand those booster shots. What are your thoughts? Yeah, I, I do think we're on the right schedule. Uh, th- these are recommendations that are being uh, constantly evaluated and, and changed by NACI, so that th- that national committee that, that looks at immunization. So they're constantly updating based on the real-world data. Now, when we compare Canada to other countries, there's a few things we have to keep in mind, and, and perhaps top of that list is we used a different vaccine schedule than other countries, and that was out of pure necessity. We simply did not have enough vaccine to hold second doses for everybody. So instead, we expanded the time between first and second doses out of, out of really desperation at the time. It turns out that that was a really smart move because by extending that gap between your first shot and your second shot, we actually generated better immunity than other countries. And we know that we can measure the immunity in our blood and it was higher and lasted longer than many other countries. So whereas other countries are absolutely in need of booster shots at the moment, Canada isn't. We're doing quite well. The immune response from our first two shots turned out to be quite strong. So they're watching that. As that begins to wane, we will see recommendations for a booster. We are seeing it in at-risk populations or people whose immune system might fade a little quicker. Um, but right now, for the average Canadian under the age of 70, we're not seeing that recommendation yet because that first round of immunization works so well in us. Okay, that's good, I guess, for sure. Good news. Um, we got another, another texter. I know you touched on it a bit at the beginning, but uh, they're asking about the Omicron cases, what they've mm-hmm. looked like so far. Mixed reports that some of them have been mild with no hospitalizations and other other reports saying that it's really bad. So can you just kind of go over that a little bit again, what we know so far? Yeah, the, the, the short answer is we don't know. Um, what we had seen is, is in the countries where this virus has emerged, we have seen over the last three or four weeks a pretty sharp increase in cases. And we don't know if that's Omicron. They haven't screened all the patients for it. But, you know, you've got a new variant in an area where cases are rising, and, and that, that's a concern. But we've also heard from one doctor, and I, to date I've only seen it as one doctor in the area, who's saying that the patients they've seen, the small number, have been more mild cases. Now, does that extend to, to other people? Which patients are we talking about? Are they only seeing younger patients? We, we really don't know. So we have to be careful with these things that we see in social media or, or even you know, single doctor interviews that are not looking at, at population data. So uh, what we believe is that it's shown up in a couple hotspots. Is it contributing to the hotspot? We'll find out in the next few weeks. Does it cause milder disease? Again, we won't know for probably another couple of weeks before we can compare it to the other versions of the virus that are out there. This next one, I've never heard of it, Dr. Janney. It says, ask Dr. Janney about ADE, the Antibody Dependent Enhancement. Mm-hmm. What, what, what is it, and, and is it beneficial? Yeah, so it, it, 
it's not beneficial. Um, that's the, the, it, so this was a, a potential problem when building coronavirus vaccines early on. And there is this rare phenomenon, and it definitely happens in a Petri dish, where if we add the wrong kind of antibody, so one that doesn't neutralize the virus, it can actually help the virus get into some cells, and it actually enhances infection. So it was a big concern, a big problem with trying to build the original coronavirus vaccines. With the current formulations, though, we're not actually seeing that, and that's good news. We've targeted a different piece of the virus and a different um, surface of the virus for the antibodies to bind to, and the real-world data is suggesting we are not seeing any of this antibody-dependent enhancement. So it was good news. It was a bit of a barrier. One reason why we didn't have successful vaccines for the original SARS, that there was that concern. But with the current formulations, we seem to have been able to build around the risk of this antibody-dependent enhancement, and it's not playing a role with our current vaccines. You nailed it once again. Thank you for answering all of our listeners' questions. I I hope it it makes people feel a little easier, I think, when they get the right answers from someone like you. So thanks for joining us. It's my pleasure, guys. Take care. You too. Appreciate it. Craig Janney is the Associate Professor, Department of Microbiology, Immunology, and Infectious Diseases at the University of Calgary. Fifty-seven percent of Canadians do not believe or are simply unaware that human trafficking is happening in our community. That's according to new research by the Canadian Centre to End Human Trafficking. There is a crucial need for more public education about the issue of human trafficking. And joining us to help shed some light on the issue this morning is Julia Dredek, who is the Executive Director of the Canadian Centre to End Human Trafficking. Hi, Julia. Thanks for joining us. Thank you so much for having me here today. Appreciate it because I know this is something that, you know, we, we try to put the message out there and, and yet people think, this is Calgary, this is Alberta, this is Canada. It's not happening here, but it is. It really is. Um, and even research that we issued earlier this year shows that it's taking place in every community across Canada. In fact, traffickers are even systematically moving victims from city to city to be able to reap high profits and keep their victims isolated and dependent on them. It's interesting, Julia, because, you know, when we see, for example, uh, a break-in, you can see proof the door crashed through or a window broken. We can see signs of a lot of crimes. But this uh, here, when we talk about human trafficking, might be hard to spot. So what are a few of the signs we can see that human trafficking is happening? What, What should we look for? You're right. The signs are often very nuanced, and it's usually not just one. But we're looking for people with a sudden change in behavior, appearance, maybe a new boyfriend or friend. All of a sudden, maybe they've got expensive gifts and clothes that you just can't quite explain. But they're also withdrawing. They're not telling people what they're doing. Um, They're providing canned answers. Um, They're really um, being secretive about their whereabouts. Um, And they might also be showing other signs of physical abuse as well. So it's something that's that's hidden. It's very well hidden. Give us some stats that maybe will be a little bit eye-opening to people who are listening this morning about how, how much we know of human trafficking. Do you have anything specific to Alberta, in fact? We don't have anything specific to Alberta yet, but we will. So as the operator of the Canadian Human Trafficking Hotline, we are able to collect anonymized and confidential statistics on what we're seeing across Canada. Um, And so we know in just the very first year of operating the hotline, we identified 415 cases of human trafficking across Canada, Canada that involved nearly 600 individual victims. Um, And again, this is taking place in every province and every territory across Canada. 
While we do see that there are some male and trans folks being trafficked overwhelmingly, this is a crime that is affecting young women and girls. So 90% of victims are Canadian women and girls. Wow. I need, need some clarity here, Julia, because something that you said struck uh, me and stuck out to me that was not knowing. When I heard the term human trafficking, I thought, you know, that these girls were taken from their homes, maybe to a new city, maybe to another country, kind of uh, to a certain extent kidnapped. But it sounds like with, with what you're saying, that is not the case. It can happen in their community or just on the other side of town. Absolutely. So these are, again, um, overwhelmingly Canadian women and girls. Um, they're coming from rural and urban communities. Um, and they're being lured and groomed by people that position themselves as someone they can trust. So often we see the Romeo pimp, someone who's positioning themselves as a boyfriend and a love interest who love bombs them, showers them with everything they ever wanted, and then uses that as collateral to coerce and exploit them into the commercial sex trade. So we need to remember it's not sort of that, that as, as we see maybe in the movies or on television, right? It can look very different. Has COVID changed what human trafficking looks like right now? Has it, you know, has it evolved because or due to COVID at all? We are seeing some trends in terms of how it's adapted, and um, this is the other thing, traffickers will adapt. Um, so um, with the lockdowns and the pandemic, we didn't see any decrease in the prevalence of human trafficking in Canada. We did see a little bit more uh, luring and grooming online, um, so especially as our youth are now spending more time on their screens and social media, traffickers have picked up on that and are using that as a way to connect with um, and, and identify potential victims. But we're also seeing a move towards more remote sexual activities, so um, webcams, um, those types of things. So while we normally associate human trafficking with online escort ads taking place in hotels and motels, this is actually increasingly happening in homes behind closed doors. Incredible. Let's uh, let's talk about, you know, Canada and, and compared with other countries across the globe, because I know this is an international issue. Are we doing enough federally? Uh, is the federal government doing enough to, to really look at legislation, to look at clamping down on this issue? The federal government is doing a pretty good job. Um, they also have a five-year strategy. Um, so they really are trying to work across ministries to come up with a coordinated response. Where we're seeing gaps is at the provincial level. Um, and that's also where those programs and services are being funded, both around prevention, but also for those incredibly important supports when someone is trying to exit. What we would like to see is every province take on a strategy to end human trafficking that aligns with the federal government. Um, and we're really looking forward um, to, to hearing what's happening in Alberta. Um, we know there's a task force right now um, that is uh, working on some recommendations. So we're, we're staying tuned and eagerly awaiting um, the Alberta government to also step up. Julia, we know obviously this is a worldwide problem, but it's one that's happening in our own country. Andy and I both have teenage girls at home. If we can bring it a little closer to home as to what we as parents, what we as a community can do, what are we looking for in our teenagers, and what could, what could, how do we teach them to be aware of what's going on as well? So much of this comes down to the very basic principles of healthy relationships. Love should never come at a cost. And often traffickers use similar tactics um, or it looks similar to other forms of domestic or intimate partner violence. So really, we need to be keeping those lines of communication open with our kids, our teenagers, and our youth. We also need to let them know that they are loved unconditionally. 
There is so much shame and stigma that comes along with sex trafficking in Canada. And traffickers use that to create wedges between our young people and their parents and their communities. So really just making sure that we're keeping those open lines of communication and looking for those signs of incredibly toxic and unhealthy relationships. What about, you know, I I know nobody wants to be the nosy neighbor, but uh, how about the vigilance of neighbors? Because as you mentioned, Julia, this is happening more so even at homes behind closed doors. Do we, uh, you know, go to the authorities if we see something that looks a little out of order on our street or around the corner? You know what, if anyone is in like immediate urgent uh, danger, they should call 911. But if you're seeing something that just feels off, maybe seems a little suspicious out of the ordinary, I really encourage people to call the Canadian Human Trafficking Hotline at 1-833-900-1010. We can walk people through the various signs and indicators of human trafficking, talk about how you might be able to approach the issue with your neighbours or community members, but also look at safety planning. Because while emotional and psychological abuse is used to propagate human trafficking in Canada, so is physical violence. It can be incredibly dangerous for those involved. So we can help work with people to find the safest and most appropriate ways um, to be able to either alert it to authorities um, or to be able to to provide support to those potential victims in need. Thanks so much for educating uh, educating us on this this morning, Julia. Appreciate your time. Oh, it's my pleasure. Thank you so much. Thanks for coming. Uh, Julia Dridick is the executive director of the Canadian Centre to End Human Trafficking. And I just wanted to point out, uh, I've worked with this organization closer to home here in Calgary. There's a, a an organization called Reset Society of Calgary that also deals with sexual exploitation and trafficking. And they're at resetcalgary.ca if you want some local information. There are resources mm-hmm. out there, folks. A team of international researchers, including from Canada, has discovered a new marine reptile. With details on the find and where it fits into our evolutionary timeline, we're joined this morning by Hans Larsen, Canada Research Chair in Vertebrate Paleontology at McGill University. Good morning, Hans. Thanks for joining us. Good morning. My pleasure. Okay, so tell us exactly what did you find and and where did you find it? Well, um, it's a it's a pretty gigantic uh, marine uh, reptile called an ichthyosaur, and so the, these are fish shaped or more more like a swordfish shaped uh, reptiles. And to give you an idea for size, the skull is over a meter long. Mm. The but the but the uh, not only is that exciting, it's one of the last uh, surviving ichthyosaurs. Ichthyosaurs lived for over a hundred million years, and this is really one one of the last ones. And we found it. Uh, in a museum drawer uh, in central Colombia. And it comes from a formation, like a rock deposit in central Colombia, uh, at a time when the proto-Atlantic and the Pacific Oceans were were connecting for the first time, about 130 million years ago. Hans, this is your world, so I'm wondering if you can give some insight to the average lay, well, the lay person out there on how unique this is and, and why it's an important discovery. Well, it's it's unique in that that um, most ichthyosaurs have really small, uh, pointy teeth for eating uh, s- uh, small fishes, and so this puts them sort of down down the trophic level. This thing had monstrous teeth that were also differentially spaced and sized throughout the jaw, and it was really well adapted for eating very large prey. So, like like uh, other marine reptiles and really big, like like several uh, feet to meters long fish, and so it puts it way up in the food chain. Um, what's also really important about this is the time it comes from. Um, the Earth had just come out of a, 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 a sort of a global cooling period where there were poles on, on the, on the or, or ice on the poles, 
And so as the climate was warming and sea levels were really rapidly rising, um, all these new species uh, were, were coming out, and this, this is certainly one of them. So does learning about this beast help fill in some evolutionary gaps then? Well, because it was so well-preserved, we were able to uh, reconstruct the evolutionary tree of, of, these, of these last surviving ichthyosaurs in much, much better detail. It, it, in fact, it, it's the best de- uh, detail ever known so far. And by doing that, we were able to come up with this like, much more uh, sort of detailed and, and uh, insightful, I think, uh, evolutionary process and pattern uh, in, these, in these last ichthyosaurs. The name of it, is it uh, Kai Hai Taisuka? Is that what we call it? Well, the pronunciation is pretty awkward for us. Uh, it's 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 something like Kahitasuka. Kahitasuka. Yeah, and it, 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 it's derived from from a from an ancient, uh, now all but extinct um, culture that lived uh, pre pre contact in this part of Colombia called called the Musca uh, culture, and and we wanted to give like as much honor to, to that as possible because because the whole region uh, was was covered in this or, or um, uh, um, a really amazing culture that had a very intricate language as well. Fascinating. You know, we're big on that uh, that kind of uh, discovery here in Alberta. We love our dinosaurs and the uh, <laughs> the findings that we've had in this province. So thanks for the update on this. It's really interesting. Thanks for joining us. My pleasure. My Appreciate pleasure. It. Thanks. Hans Larsen, Canada Research Chair in Vertebrate Paleontology at McGill University. What'd you do at work today? I discovered a species that <laughs> nobody in the history of the world has ever seen before. It's a kahutakucha. That's what I said. That's what we say. And I had the pleasure of being introduced to Psalm recently when it was launched here in Calgary. And if you're a wine lover, you are going to love this new app called Psalm. It's like having a sommelier in your pocket. Here to explain is the Alberta-born founder of Psalm, Jennifer Tremblay. Hi, Jen. Thanks for joining us. Hi, Sue. It's great to talk to you again. Okay, so break down the Psalm app for us. Explain how it works for everybody. Yeah, you bet. There's basically two sides of the app. One is the recommendation engine, which basically takes the guesswork out of wine. So no more picking by the label or, uh, you know, trying to pretend you understand a sommelier. We've designed this uh, recommendation engine to be super intuitive, no matter what you're doing or what you're eating. Um, And then the second side of the app is actually our loyalty program, which we like to say gives you the benefits you actually want. So we've partnered with a bunch of restaurants, hotels, wineries, agencies, and some lifestyle brands to give you, you know, complimentary bubbly when you arrive at our restaurant partners, discounted hotels when you stay at our hotel partners, complimentary tastings at wineries, and some other, like, great shipping breaks. Um, And we're really excited about our relationship with Highlander Wines and Bin 905, as well as uh, Orchard Restaurant in Calgary as part of our launch. All right, so let's break this down because, you know, give us an example here, Jennifer. Maybe I'm doing a steak uh, with some potatoes on the side. Is that as specific as we can get, or do I like to say I like a full-bodied wine? What, what sort of parameters do I put in? <laughs> yeah, it's, you know, it's kind of pick your path, right? So if, you, if you're looking for something to actually pair, then if you open up the recommendation button within within the app itself, you can basically pick by, you know, the protein, the sauce, how it's cooked, and then you're going to get a handful of uh, recommendations, whether it's specifically within the Highlander and Bin 905 portfolio when you're shopping there, or just generally if you're looking at, you know, your cupboard and you're saying, okay, well, does this, you know, Chianti or Cabernet Sauvignon actually go with what I'm, what, with what I'm doing? Um, we've broken it down fairly specifically. Um, obviously, like, for instance, if you're putting together like a cheese and charcuterie board you know different wines go with different types of cheeses and so we've we've added you know a level of specificity that's very relatable around the type of cheese for instance that you might be serving in this upcoming holiday season so it's 
it's both specific and general, depending on what you're looking to do and, and uh, works for you at home when you're heading over to a friend's place, when you're actually shopping at Highlander or Bin 905. Um, and, and it's super intuitive. It really is intuitive, Jen, and that's the cool thing about it. And you've got the sommelier behind you who's helped yep. create all this information. So it's, it's yeah. accurate and it's right on. That's exactly it. Yeah, we, you know, we're a team of tech folks and business professionals, um, but we also have hospitality professionals working right with us since the beginning. So we have two very highly coveted uh, sommeliers as part of our team, uh, one of whom is a master sommelier. There's only five of those in the country. Um, her name is Elise Lambert. And then we also have Jordan Mazanti, who's the head sommelier at one of Canada's top uh, relay and chateau hotels. Let's talk about how we get it, the cost involved, or is it, you know, uh, what is it, after per, uh, in-app purchases? How, how does that work as yeah. far as the cost and getting it? The, the app is free. So download it in uh, the Google Play Store, the Apple App Store. The app itself is free. You'll be able to access the recommendation engine, you know, all you want, as well as some really cool educational content. Um, if you do want to unlock kind of those VIP benefits and perks, we have the SOM Crew program, which is uh, $4.99 a month, but very quickly pays for itself. The... Uh, the, the benefit that Highlander and, and Bin 905, for example, has put together is 15% off wine every time you shop. Um, so that actually makes it, I think, more cost-effective than shopping at Costco, actually. Uh, Who even thought that was possible? Offer, yeah, we're, at, we're actually offering a very cool uh, special offer for uh, for the Calgary market using code GLOBALCREW, that's global C-R-U, um, to get your first three months of Psalm Crew for free. So it's both free, and if you wanted to upgrade, you can you can uh, upgrade to Psalm Crew or Grand Crew. Highly recommend it. It really is smart, and it's a great way to, uh, to get a little knowledge for yourself, but also to figure out that crazy and, and convoluted wine world and make it much more simple for you. So thanks so much for joining us, Jim. My pleasure. Talk to you guys soon. You bet. Jennifer Tremblay is the founder of SOM, and it's S-O-M-M. So you can go online at SOMM.io. That's the website. Or download it. And as she said, you can unlock for three months free uh, using the code word Global Crew, and you unlock the the crew package, G-L-O-B-A-L-C-R-U. Very interesting tool. Yeah, it's pretty neat. Thanks for downloading and listening to the podcast. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review for free at Apple Podcast, Google Play, or wherever you find your podcasts. And tune in to Mornings with Sue and Andy from 530 to 9 every weekday morning on 770 CHQR.